Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Now before we get started on the podcast proper, I wanted to first apologize because it is summer here in the perch from where I broadcast and I am I'm barely high above sea level which means it gets real warm in my studio so you'll hear a constant buzz of the AC which I promise is easy enough to ignore. Um, I don't hear it because I'm wearing fancy noise-canceling headphones, but there's nothing I can do to edit it out. So, sorry in advance. But, on that note, um, I wanted to encourage you to go listen to last week's episode, to last Thursday's episode of the podcast, where I talked about One Piece Film Z, and to look forward to the last episode in what I have come to know as Movie May. Um, I'm actually going to be covering something I think I've covered before, and that's a little film called Pocoroso, so definitely go check that out when it comes out, or check out the other Movie May entries this year in the form of an episode on Bubble and an episode on Pompo the Cinephile, so definitely go check all three of the current movie may episodes out but on that note i want to jump into what will be what i want to talk about for this lovely sunday edition um and that is influences so i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do this with two with kind of three properties and one 1960s furniture design company, which I promise will make sense to you. And if I said that and you're like, ears just went up, yes, you saw the same article I saw on, um, on, on ANN, but I saw it coming because I saw a poster in the background of the actual show that I will be relating that furniture company to. So, before we get into that, what I want to talk about is a problem that arises in any entertainment media, but has risen, has rised up in a particular way in anime. And that is, you can get into a thing where the only people making the thing, make it, making the thing are people who grew up and loved the thing. And that's especially true of things like nerd fandoms, like comic books, anime, um, cartoons, movies, video games. That's why you see so many video games that are Souls-like. It's not because everybody plays Dark Souls. It's because the people who develop, uh, who are developing that game love to play Dark Souls-like games, so they wanted to try their hand at making one. It's not its not a thing that should be discouraged. It's actually a thing that should be encouraged. Because through playing with the form, you can get more interesting, cool things. So if you... If you look at something like Naruto, 
and you look at something like Jujutsu Kaisen. You can draw really direct lines between the two. But the cool thing comes from Gege Akatami playing with the form of the shonen action show with like a demon-possessed main character and showing what that can look like when you're using hor- when you're also adding like a little horror trope mix to it as well along with a lot of like modern sensibilities and all that stuff but we get a lot of that and like at its best we get things like we get really polished stuff like Jujutsu Kaisen or even something like My Hero Academia which is incredibly polished standard shonen fare but you also get things like Boruto that I'm sure Boruto is fine but it seems like just they wanted to keep the money train rolling but because the industry and the fandom ask for certain things you get certain kinds of creators that come from certain backgrounds and they're and they're pulling from pretty well-worn staple things that everybody that everybody pulls from this looks this looks an awful lot like what you see Trigger do what you see Gynax do. That's a bunch of nerds making stuff for nerds by nerds. It's awesome and their shows are really interesting for it, but they also, you kind of know how it's going to go sometimes. That's a, I talked about um, Magical Shopping Arcade Abanabashi a um, couple episodes, a bunch of episodes ago, but that's re- actually only a couple episodes ago, honestly. Um, right before movie May, hilariously. Um, that, that thing is very born of, like, nerds exploring, like, nerddom in a very specific way, through a very specific lens, through a very male lens at the end of the day. And it, it, it plays like that. Like, you watch Abinabashi and a lot of the, like, meta otaku narrative of the time is in that show. It's so much of what makes that show what it is, actually. But the interesting thing is those aren't the only people who have ever worked in anime, worked in anime and worked in manga. Manga is... And I want to talk about manga here specifically because it's like the root of this. Manga is such a wider variety of things than mainstream comics of the same ilk are in America. There are manga made for all kinds of things. And part of that is because it is Japan's cultural, is a huge cultural export of Japan that was like given room to run and like funded by the government in some cases. But the other part of it is Japanese culture just took to it in a way that American comic, the American mainstream comics, indie comics are a different thing. But American mainstream comics think Marvel, think DC, think to an extent Dark Horse. Um, just never, 
Like, that never formed in the same way. You don't... You don't... Well, you may now, but you didn't used to have, like, grown adults reading, you know, Marvel comics on the train into work. In the same way that you most likely have for a long time in Japanese culture. But the reason why I bring this up is because that has welcomed more people into manga as a creative form. Um, and if you look at, if you look at, like, the stars of anime and the stars of manga, oftentimes there's, like, a little asterisk, like, um, the author of Naruto infamously really wanted to make ramen. Like, was really into ramen and ramen shops and types of ramen. And that's how you get Ichiraku ramen as, like, this weird staple backdrop thing in Naruto. It's like, that was, like, him putting a little bit of himself, a little bit more, like, a little bit of his own fascination with that into his manga. In a way that is eerie once you notice it. You're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is strange. And that's been true of, that's true of, like, the, um, the, the, that's true of the Miyazaki family also. So, um, Hayao Miyazaki is, like, infamously into, like, military machinery. Like, if you see the way he treats the plane, like, treats the making of the plane in, um, the wind rises, you're like, oh, this dude, this dude's really into planes. This dude, like, will make model planes out of drop of a hat. Absolutely. Or if you look at, um, Goro Miyazaki's, um, uh, up on Poppy Hill, he had, and also other, like, I think there's also a, one of these houses in where Marty was there. He's super into, like, old, decrepit, abandoned houses in his stories. It's, it's just another weird staple that you see in a lot of his stories the same way you see a lot of, like, military tech in Miyazaki stories. Um, also, a lot of War is Bad, except for Wind Rises, which really muddles that fucking message. Because, spoiler that's not what that movie's about. Um, but we'll get to Miyazaki and his, like, love of military planes literally next third day, so just you wait. Um, but the other thing that's true is because there's such a wide variety of manga, you don't necessarily have to pull from the manga everybody else pulls from. You also don't even have to pull from manga necessarily. So the first example I want to use here is Spy, Spy X Family. And if you've have seen the article that I referenced earlier on um, on on Eames on Eames chairs and Eames furniture on ANN, which you can go look up on ANN. You might have to like dig a little because it, I think it was like a month ago um, they posted that, but actually it was probably like two weeks ago if I'm honest. Um, but the manga for for Spike's family on every cover of a, like, of the paperback manga has one of the characters from the show 
sitting in an iconic, and I think they're all Eames chairs, like Eames company chairs, um, an iconic 1960s chair design. And the thing that tips you off to this, if you're watching the show, I think it's in episode two, you, the thing, the thing that first tips you off at least, is they've got a straight up advertising poster for a pretty well known Eames like desk chair like Eames office chair just framed in their framed in their apartment and like you look at it and if you know anything about design history or furniture design which is part of my real life job not my anime talking about on the internet hobby which this is um, I'm just like, oh, that, I know that poster. That poster's really well known. That looks like the show. That's, that's it. That's the thing. Like, that, like, if you look at, um, the, like, aesthetic of Spy X Family, it's very, like, 1960s design-centric. In a real way, like the way Yor looks in, the way they all look in, um, in their everyday clothes feels very 1960s inspired. So, the author possibly being quietly, like, obsessed with 1960s Eames lounge furniture makes total sense. And when I look at Spike's family, compared to so much of what's also out, it makes sense to me that people kind of love it. Because it feels so visually different. It influences are so different than something like, um, like, like, and that, like anything else on right now. And that's part of what sets it apart. It's a big part of what sets it apart. And the second show I want to talk about with this is a little show that started small but, like, finished huge. Like, finished at the top of the um, Crunchyroll ratings. Um, at the top of the Crunchyroll ratings. Um, at the top of the Crunchyroll ratings for, the, for like, current airing thing in, um, in the September 2021 season. Um... And that is Tokyo Revengers. Now, what I'm going to say here is going to be pretty surprising. Because I because it took me a while to catch it. And you have to understand, I am... I'm like... An art Olympic athlete. Tra like, trained like an art Olympic athlete. When I was in high school. I went to fashion courses first. And eventually I went to cartooning. And illustration. And on down the line... I eventually took animation courses too, but like I'm, I'm seeped in this stuff. So I was, I was, I always had kind of the hint, but I, it didn't completely come to me until I started reading the manga for um, for uh, Tokyo Revengers, which is phenomenal in the same way. So it's phenomenal, but it just looks better. Um, and also appeased my, like, need to know what happened after the end of the first season of that friggin' show. Um, but, 
when I was watching it, I had this, like, odd moment where, like, the visuals of Tokyo Revengers are very gang-centric, but they're very fashionably gang-centric. And I want to pull you to the, um, to the bloody Halloween fight, to the, like, very beginning of that little arc where you see all these different gang members from all over Tokyo. And there's these two characters who just look like they're from a different show. They, like, look totally wild. They, like, way more fashionable than anybody else in, like, it, on the sandlot that day. And it struck me as odd. And then I look back at, like, the Valhalla uniforms the Tokyo Majin gang's uniform, and all of these different things, and, like, something started to stand out to me. And that is, this show has a remarkable sense of style and fashion. When they... When they're designing... When they designed all the... When the person... When the author of the manga designed all of these characters, he... They were very clearly paying attention to, like, the look of everything. They didn't just want it to look, period. They wanted it to look fashionable. In a way, where, like, you want to wear this uniform because it's cool looking. Not be just because it's, like, it's cool because the show made it cool. Even a small detail, like, the way that this show handles, like, a unified feel for tattoos... So it avoids the issue of tattoos being kind of, for lack of a better word, not very good. Is pre it's pretty impressive because a big problem that um, I find in anime manga is unless it's like there's like a definite point and like you're making gangster manga or you're making like a gangster story. Just because lots of, most people in Japan don't have tattoos, period end. Like, the people who have tattoos are doing crimes. It's, it's the way it is. It's a cultural thing. It goes back to literally the, like, time of shoguns, of, like, daimyos and shoguns when they were, like, they'd get a criminal and the way they would identify them is they would put an X somewhere on their body and in order to hide the X, um, they would tattoo, an, like, an X... On somewhere on their body in order to hide that X what the criminals would do is get elaborate beautiful tapestry tattoos what we now know as Japanese tattoo ta the Japanese tattoo style and that's why that's been been kind of aligned with criminality for like hundreds of years I'm not kidding and that's why when you go to Japan and you have tattoos, it's like, bathhouse may not let you into the bath. And there, there are bathhouses that are, like, known to, like, let people with tattoos in. There are bathhouses that are, like, we, we don't care if you've got gangster connections as long as you give us money. <laughs> um, but, and it's an employment problem, too. Like, if you have tattoos, you have a harder time getting employed in Japan. It's a whole thing. But, that leads to oftentimes, like, the tattoos in anime feeling 
wanting. And in this show, in Tokyo Revengers, what the author did was they like picked a style. They they picked a kind of like tribal interpretive style of tattoo of tattooing and that's what most of the tattoos in the show look like they don't look like these big elaborate things that they could get wrong because there are absolute rules to Japanese to traditional Japanese tattoos but they look like oh that's a thing a kid like a punk kid would get if he would get a tattoo and all this other stuff so it's a really consistent attention to detail to style while you're watching the show. And then I moved over to the manga. And the manga got even more stylish and aware of its style as it was go as it goes. And then I I've, I'm reading it on Comicsology because I hate myself and Comicsology is a nightmare thing. Um I don't care who knows it. Fix your shit, Amazon. Um, but there was a point at which I was looking at all of the covers of, like, volumes 1 through 20 of Tokyo Revengers. And it was so overwhelmingly clear to me that, like, this person has seen, you know, Ganku, Gankutsu. This person has seen and loved Paradise Kiss. Because they're paying attention to, like, the the covers of the manga are, like, men in beautiful clothes. Or, and, like, the, the, like, next antagonist in the arc that comes after the one, um, that's depicted in the anime, the one, the Bloody Christmas arc, has these tattoos that are, like, really graphic and really... Unique even in the, like, tattoo style that the show establishes. So what, what came, became clear to me is, this guy's making, like, delinquent teenage shonen manga, but he's pulling from a totally different set of, Influences. Now, I'm sure he's also influenced by, like, you know, Yu Yu Hakusho and the, like, standard shonen delinquent manga fare. But the fact that, like, I saw in this, like, oh, this guy's, like, this, this author's clearly reading things like Paradise Kiss. They're clearly reading things, they're clearly watching things like Ganku, like, Gankuso. Which really fascinating to me because I sent this over to Lauren. I sent I sent a picture. Me and Lauren have a running conversation constantly. Hi, Lauren. But um, I sent Lauren a picture of all the things, and she's like, "Oh, looks like somebody wanted to be a fashion designer, but couldn't." I'm like, "Yeah, right." This feels an awful lot like they just hang out and watch Paradise Kiss all the way through once a year, and. Like, I pulled up the Paradise Kiss um, manga covers, and there were some certain parallels there. I'm sure there would be more parallels between the manga covers of Paradise Kiss and the DVD covers 
the the DVD coverage of Paradise Kiss and the um, manga coverage of Tokyo of Tokyo Revengers. It just it, it like filled me with joy because I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is clearly like this is a shonen manga pulling from something that's so clearly not in like the shonen wheelhouse. It's pulling not from things like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto for its stylistic tips. It's pulling from, like, you know, Paradise Kiss. It's pulling from probably Neighborhood Stories. It's, pull it's pulling from Ayazawa stuff. And stuff in that ilk. More shoujo, romantic, um, like, fashion-oriented stuff. Um... And it just, it struck me as a cool idea and I wanted to share my thoughts about the possibility for that kind of influence in really popular anime and also the possibility that the reason why so many people gravitate towards shows is sometimes, it's oftentimes because they're good premises, I mean, Tokyo... Tokyo Revenger is a great premise. And it's a great, like, heart-gripping, heart-wrenching show. It's got a really good protagonist who struggles with his own weakness. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing is true of Bayek's Family. It's an excellent comedy. It's, like, deeply wholesome in a way that's just stuff... Either is or isn't. And, and when it is, it makes it that much better. But the other thing that's true of both of these shows is that a small part of the popularity was probably you're seeing things you're seeing things visually that are being that are pulling from influences that are not like Dragon Ball Z or Naruto or you know JoJo's or stuff like that because. There can be a kind of Ouroboros situation that happens with nerd media. And that is, like, people who grow up watching that media, watching that media, then if they go into that industry, attempt to, like, capture a small part of it, or emulate it, or pay homage to it. And yes, those projects are fabulous and fun, Yes, I love Gurren Lagann. Yes, you know, SS Gridman looks like it kicks ass. But without other influences, stuff can grow stale. Stuff can grow predictable. You know, and I've, I've done a whole podcast on um, why I hate Black Clover. But if you go and you look at Black Clover, that show wears its influences on its sleeves. It is like paint-by-numbers, shown-in-action fair. And it suffers for it because it does it with almost no self-awareness. It does it with just the most obnoxious, like, earnest, come on, get it together, please, like, stop being, stop being this one show. And start being something, start doing something interesting with your setting and your world and your rules 
And as far as I've seen, I watched up to... Uh, I tortured myself for 107 episodes of that friggin' show. It doesn't. And nothing I've seen from it since on, on the periphery tells me that it ever did. And... The big three or the big four or the big five or whatever you want to call it. Everything plus Yu Yu Hakusho. Who knows? Have all happened already. And like, yes, they can be great sources of inspiration. And they can be great sources of... Like... Frameworks of how to do things. But... They already happened. So when you make something like, say... Once again, Black Clover, where it's like, my name is, you know, protagonist A, and I want to be king of the kingdom B, and, like, rule over C, and all this other bullshit. You start to see these, the character archetypes, like, work themselves out pretty quickly. Like, um, you know is just a Sasuke-type character. Um, what's his face? Uh, damn it, what's the... The silver-haired kid, the, the, main, the main guy, is just a Naruto protagonist. It's just a Naruto-style protagonist. You know, Sister Lily has hints of Sakura that are then, like, replaced by um, the Water Girl. And it... It all just kind of, like, is laid bare. And it it makes you annoyed by the show because you've seen it all before. Be, and, and the reason why... And you get this sense of they're making this... The, the author is not making this because this is maybe the idea that they had that was best they really wanted to make. But this was... And maybe they did want to make this. Make, make something like Black Clover. But... This is the idea that sells. And that's why the odds are made it. And that's why, you know, Shonen Jump said yes to it. And it just, it always, like, brightens my day when I see something. I'm like, oh, this is different. This is fun. This is cool. And, and it brightens my day even more when those things happen and they're less pushed by the... Less pushed by a corporate interest. So, like, Spike's family got its notoriety as a fantastic comedy manga. I, re I read some of it, not certainly not all of it, but I think it's still going. But so it got like a natural growth, and then when it got an anime, everybody was like, "Yeah, we're into this." Like, if if you want a fun show this season, go watch this. So that popularity feels very organic in its way. Tokyo Revengers started at like the started at the bottom and then and, and now it's here kind of thing. It took until its last episode, until the twelfth episode, for everybody to be like, holy shit, Tokyo Revengers. A bunch of us, including me, were like on it for the first like from the first thing like Man, this is that good delinquent shit. We're here for it. But it took until the end of Tokyo Revengers season for first season 
for everybody to be like, oh my god. Thank god we got this to first place. Because it deserves it. And with the, like, once you look into it and you see the, like, fashion, you see, like, the fashion-obsessed, like, ness of it, it makes it even more fun to just kind of, like, oh, like, what's the next weird character design, clothing design choice they're gonna make? Because they're gonna make it, and it's gonna be great. Um, so on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday is what I'm doing currently. Um, Sunday shows are like this, they're metatextual, they're about things I notice in the industry, things I notice in the medium, things I notice in the fandom. Um, Thursday episodes are about for the month of May, a movie, or otherwise a show, or very occasionally a manga. Um, although I have another little extra thing I put out whenever I feel like it. That's all about, that's like me reviewing a manga in like a minute. I call it Manga Minute. It's, it's challenging is what I will say. It's made to challenge me, actually. Um, but... <laughs> That's what the Thursday show is a more traditional talking about a specific property kind of thing. So definitely go check those out and subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using to hear my voice right now. Um, and on that note, I will talk to you on Thursday.